so, Psalm 1 and the six verses. And notice as we read, just give you one little thought in your mind, uh, a, a great psalm of contrast. And that comes out in the course of the sermon. So, may we begin. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Well, the heading for the psalm today is Making the Most of the Means of Grace. And hopefully that will become even more uh, meaningful as the sermon unfolds. We're looking at Psalm 1, and apart from one or two cross-references, we'll be confining ourselves into this psalm. And uh, hopefully it will be um, a help to us as we think about how we worship, why we come together and do the things that we do. A choice is presented to us. We can choose the path that leads to life or the path that leads to death or in the language of the Bible to destruction. Life, a constant challenge for change. Death, a turning in on ourselves and rejecting God. I'm assuming, I hope not wrongly, that we've made the choice for life. We've embarked upon the journey of faith and we have a challenge of constant change. That's been the big theme that we've been pursuing these past months. Come to the psalm for a moment. The book of Psalms has been compared to a mansion in which there are, it's an illustration, 150 rooms. Some are bigger than others. Some are full of light, some are dark, some are beautiful, some are austere. A mansion with 150 rooms. And in each room, we can make new discoveries about God and ourselves. Those of us who are members of the National Trust and have the privilege of going to Wadsden Manor, which is the jewel in the crown, uh, of uh, the National Trust will, will know the joy of just going through that beautiful house. There's just one problem. Most of the time when we go to either Christmas or special events and there's a traffic of people and you want to stop and look at these gorgeous works of art worth enormous amounts of money and yet you have to keep moving, keep moving. The book of Psalms is like that. You go into this mansion and you see things that challenge you and encourage you. And most people who understand the book of Psalms would say this, that this first psalm, Psalm 1, is the entry point. It's the entry point. 
to the whole book. It isn't just Psalm 1 because it's number 1. It's the key, if you like, that opens up the rest of the Psalms. And it sets a sort of a pattern and a style that follows. Indeed, some commentators would really say this, that all that follows in the book of Psalms, which of course is the hymn book of the Bible, and we'll close the service by singing a psalm soon, um, all that follows should be read in the light of Psalm 1. So this is a very crucial psalm. And you will see in this psalm that uh, it gives us two options for living while we are here on earth. Either we are for God or we are not. Either we choose a lifestyle that reflects his character and glory or we don't. And the theme can be traced throughout the whole of the Bible. And just got two references at the beginning, at the end. You don't really need to turn to it for the sake of time. But you'll remember the first terrible, uh, the first murder recorded in the Bible is the classic Cain and Abel, brothers at enmity with each other at least as far as Cain is concerned. And in, in Genesis 4, Abel offers an offering that is acceptable. Cain's is not. And this is what happens. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why have you got such a negative attitude? Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? Why do you think everybody in life is against you? In other words, if you do what is right, will it not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, and this is the picture that God gives, and it is, it is a, a powerful picture for all of us here today. The Lord says to him, Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. And you must master it. And his response to that, Am I my brother's keeper? In other words, what it is like to sit in the seat of the cynics and the scoffers. And the rest, as they say, is history. Life or death. And at the end of the, of the Bible, the book of Revelation 22:17, it says, And the Spirit and the Bride says, Come, the great invitation of the church to the church. Let him who is thirsty come and drink of the water of life. And it seems again, there are these choices that we have as we think about um, the Bible and its central message. Okay, let's come to Psalm 1 then, with that sort of introduction in mind. The contrast is in two ways. The first, we've made reference to, and it's obvious, is, uh, and you find it in verse 6, and there you have it. There's, there's the contrast. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, the way of the wicked will perish. There are consequences always to choices, good or bad. So there's the first, the obvious, life or death. We've said this before, haven't we? It's worth repeating. Contrast is the mother of clarity. Which am I most like? What are my choices? What have they been this past week? Contrast is the mother of clarity. But look, secondly, the contrast is less obvious, but more important. Less obvious but even more important, and it's this, in terms of lifestyle. I hope this makes sense to you. Try to take this in. Not what we do so much that is wrong, okay? Not what we do that is wrong, but look at verse 1, what we don't do 
that is right. Okay? I know it's a bit early to be thinking like that. It's not an examination today, but just think about that. Not what we do that is wrong, but what we don't do, or what we refuse to do that is right. Look at verse 1, and it becomes, it becomes obvious to us. Look, blessed is the man who does not. Okay? What he doesn't do is his commendation. Who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. Blessed is the believer, he or she, who does not stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of the cynics and the mockers. There are choices. Lifestyle consequences. Relationships. Do you see that? Now that's an important thing. You're choosing and not choosing. And they merge together in this very simple psalm. Now in a society that perhaps more than ever rewards busyness, the spirit of the age, keep moving, keep moving, don't stand still, don't stop. Here's an interesting thing, and it's an interesting phrase here. In a society that rewards busyness, it is now confronted in this psalm with what we can call righteous inactivity. What we don't do is a powerful thing. What we don't do. And in this psalm, particularly from verse 1, blessed we are for what we don't do before we are commended for what we do. Again, you see that very clearly uh, in, in psalm one, uh, verse 1 of the psalm. Interestingly, this became the springboard for Jesus' manifesto of his kingdom. What is this kingdom like? Not so much, what is it? What is it like? And from this psalm, there's a link, when Jesus announced to his disciples what he was going to do, what's the very heart of the kingdom? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be filled. Blessed are the pure in heart. They will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, and so on and so forth. Do you see it? Blessed are those. Blessed for who they are, not simply for what they do. Do you see the connection? So what you have here in clear, unambiguous terms is a life that pleases God. Blessed is the man and the woman who does not. In three specific ways, three areas of our lifestyle, which we'll comment on in a moment. A life that pleases God, and everything and everything flows from it. Look at verse 1 then, and see again. The spiraling erosion, which isn't obvious until there is a calamity. What, is this, what, what does this mean? Um, blessed is the man or woman who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Well, the idea of walk means something that is passing and casual. The unfolding of life. The sort of values that we imbibe. Okay. Then come from walking to Standing. What do we mean by the person who does not stand? It, this, it, this is literally means a marked out path. So if the one is sort of casual and general, this one is very specific. 
So, picture this again then. The person who walks casually, okay, the wicked, we rub shoulders with people every day. We, we're not exclusives, are we? Clearly not. Or stand in the way of sinners. But, uh, wait a moment, uh, is that a marked out path? I mean, when we are in company with people, is there anything that is distinctive that points to Jesus? And then finally, this sort of spiraling erosion, walking, standing, sitting, which means a permanent residence. Where do I live mentally, morally, spiritually? What is my spiritual residence? And this sort of downward progression, the godly, the believer, must resist. And the pull is powerful. Sometimes, don't we know, almost irresistible. The law of gravity pulls you down, not lifts you up, doesn't it? Enter the means of grace. Now, the means of grace is much more than going to church. I should go to church more often. Or really, I should go to the prayer meeting instead of watching EastEnders and things. It would be a good idea for, for many of you, I know. But it's more than just that. It's much more than that. The means of grace I mean, after all, don't we often think, where are you going to hear this apart from a, a, a group of believing people? It's not a clever sermon. It is all that we share, all that we imbibe as part of a living faith. And some of these things now are going to challenge us so that we will have to make changes. Surely. Walking, standing, sitting. The downward progression for the believer must be resisted. And the means of grace, particularly coming together like this and on other occasions, home groups and prayer groups and so forth, is to stop the rot. It is. So maybe we should think about church. What would my life be like without it? Without my fellow believer? Without people who really exemplify a tangible sense of the grace of God. How impoverished our lives would be without them. So we should value one another and all that we do. The means of grace will stop the rot and reverse the trend. Now then, notice the rest of this psalm, Psalm 1. And take it with you, because in many ways it's not complicated, but it's quite powerful. We have a series of pictures illustrating what blessedness, or the, 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 other, the other word uh, that we would use more, I guess, is happiness. It's an illustration. It's not a definition. We're not defining. We're illustrating. I'm giving you pictures. I don't know about you, but it's not only the children that should read books where there are pictures. Adults should as well. I like books with pictures. Well, yes, this psalm is full of pictures. Let's look at them together. And what it's doing is just the one thing, illustrating what happiness is like. Three questions. The first, what is this blessed, this happy life like? What is it like? Look at verse 3. Four pictures. There you are. You could almost shout them out, couldn't you, if, you, if it was one of these interactive things. Okay, it's like a tree. A tree. Some trees take a century to mature. With is big time, long term. So we're not talking about weeds, we're talking about a tree. And it points to life. The miracle of growth is a powerful thing. 
Take the lungs of a city. So easily with one chainsaw, a tree that could take a hundred years to grow, can be laid bare. So easy to destroy, isn't it? And yet, life to cultivate. It's a beautiful picture. Lungs of a city. It's the respite. We don't have a lot of sun for shade. Recently I parked my car on a hot day under a tree. And there were pigeons. <laughs> Thank you. You know what they do. It's the law of gravity. Make a terrible mess. Trees are symbols of strength and beauty. That's what it's like. And it takes time. It takes time. God isn't in a hurry, by the way, even though our little lives often are. That's the first picture, like a tree. And it's planted. You see the purpose? This isn't an accident now. Uh, carefully chosen. The right tree with the right soil, in the right place, for the right purpose. Giving a sense of beauty and cohesion. And yet nature is like that, isn't it? So it's a tree that is planted, it's chosen for the right purpose. If you look, next time you're passing the, the manse and the Cheesley Road, you will see two trees. One that is so obvious and beautiful. It's that gorgeous copper beech tree. One that is less obvious, and when you're passing next time, if you're in the car, don't do this, you have to be walking. You will see in the chimney of the manse a silver birch growing out of the chimney. Now, a bird put that there. It's not clever. It's absolutely right. You have a look. Now, that is a tree in the wrong place. It's a good tree, but not growing out of the chimney. So, you see what I'm saying? You, uh, planted, chosen, the right place for the right purpose. Thirdly, streams, water. Where there's water, there's life. And water is essential for our survival and the survival of all life. Now, of course, we could spiritualize that so, so readily. It's rather obvious, isn't it? But look, one thing, staying with nature. You see, faith has a taproot, a taproot that goes down deep and you will survive Arid times, hard times, difficult times, harrowing experiences. Why? Not because you're a good person, but because your root, taproot is deep down, drawing from the resources that can't be seen. It's the means of grace. We build up our faith as we listen to God's word, as we share, as we pray, as we ask for forgiveness and so on. So, these three pictures and the fourth which is almost the consequence in a way, you see it there, fruit. A sense of rhythm and the season. This is the time for strawberries. Whatever you do, don't freeze strawberries. They become mush. The thing that you should do with strawberries when you pick them, eat them. They are meant to be in season. Some fruits are like that. I knew of a professor who was worked in food science and they did all sorts of experiments of trying to freeze strawberries and thus far failed by its very nature. And it's as if God says, you know, I've given them for you not to freeze them, but to eat them and to enjoy them with relish. It's nothing to do with Wimbledon, though 
if you go there, cut your arm and a leg for a punnet, I've no doubt. But the point is this. You see it in, in verse 3. There it is. He is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season. And we should eat in season. I know things can be shipped from all around the world, but within uh, the way we grow and so on and so forth. So there you are, four pictures. What is the blessed life like? A tree planted by streams that yields its fruit in season. I think those are lovely pictures. Let's, let's ask a second question, perhaps a bit quicker. What is the source of this blessedness? If that's what it's like, what is, it, what is its source? Well, look now, we've got a couple of verses just to see here. Verse 1, 2, and 4. Four streams, if you like. Four streams. Now, let the psalm speak to you rather than me, so that it, it, it will be more uh, abiding and permanent. The first, in verse 1, repentance. I need repentance for where I do walk for where I choose to stand for where I like sitting I need repentance for that sometimes I find it easy to respond cynicism for cynicism bitterness for bitterness and so I don't talk to people in my family anymore for some of you that's true and that's very sad don't sit there anymore do something. Risk rejection and misunderstanding. And may I say, with misunderstanding, risk misrepresenting as well. Don't sit there. Don't. Okay then. So repentance, quite simply, is this. I need to say sorry. One of the important things in life for all relationships, ours with God and each other is, we're on a journey of faith and there are times when all that we can say is, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. Repentance. In other words, not like that, but like this. It's the turning around. And it's not a shortcut to spiritual growth. Positive repentance for my walking, for my standing and for my sitting. Look, secondly, the second stream. Faith. A living faith. Look in verse 2. But in contrast, and it is a very sharp one from verse 1 and 2, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Faith. Strong negative, followed by a stronger positive. Do you see that? In verse 2. But in contrast, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. I haven't meditated consciously for a long time. There's an admission for you. Why is it that we are so busy? Are we afraid to stop? Stop and think. Do we like life always in the fast lane? A third stream, obedience. If you like, it's a spiritual workout. It's trying to keep fit. Obedience is something you do. It's a workout. In other words, faith plus 
Obedience equals greater happiness. Faith without application, less happiness. And this idea of meditation, you, if you go out here and you go to tame to the, the shell or the garage on the corner of the big roundabout, its title, it's interesting you see it, it's On the Run. That's what it's called, On the Run. You see it there. And what do they want? Well, you come in, fill up, and go, keep going. Big turnover. It's not like a place where you stop and refresh and wait. A little oasis in the busyness of life. Keep moving, keep moving. We are to be still and know that God is the Sovereign Lord. Well, that's what the blessed life is like and those are the sources that we draw from. Let's close with one question. Which are we most like? Which are we most like? Now, you have to do that test yourself. I can't do it for you. You certainly can't do it for me. Which are we most like? You see, look at the, look at the way the, the contrast comes in again. Um, uh, verse 1, contrasting, but his delight in contrast to that. And then, not so the wicked. The wicked are not like these uh, four pictures. They are like chaff. Oh, what a contrast to a tree, a graceful, beautiful tree that has lived a hundred, hundred and fifty, two hundred years, spreading its boughs widely to chaff that is just blown in the wind. Oh, that's a pretty sharp contrast. I think you'll agree. But the question, which are we most like? And as far as the psalmist is concerned, he's under no illusions at all. He says, not so the wicked. What are they like? They're just like chaff. The wind blows it away, and it's gone, like chaff. I wasn't sure what this chaff means, and I looked in the dictionary. It literally means worthless stuff. Pretty good, isn't it? Worthless stuff. Void of value and purpose. Blown in the wind. Gone. No blessing to them or to others either. Even though they may be the movers and shakers in many parts of our culture. Worthless stuff. That's what unbelief is like. Now, which would you choose? You young folk, which would you choose? Or you believers here, but you're backslidden and you're nowhere spiritually, which would you choose? Stuff that's void of value and meaning. And then in verse 5, you see, which are you most like? There's no future. Let me read verse 5 to you. Therefore the wicked will not stand. It's a play on words. Instead of standing in the way of sinners, no, no, wait a minute, now you're standing in the judgment. Not people's opinion now. It is Almighty God. How will you stand in the judgment? How will I? The wicked will not stand in the judgment. Nor these movers and shakers in the assembly of the righteous. 
bring back righteous inactivity, what we don't do in order to show the glory of what we become. Am I going to be found guilty in the judgment? Apart from the grace of God, I am. The unbeliever is like chaff that has no future and it ends and it's a pretty poor ending, isn't it, with this evocative word they will perish they will perish and those who refuse God's grace and forgiveness have no future they will lose everything that's an incredible contrast isn't it and don't miss the impact of this final and stark contrast that comes to us that the end is a result of your choice yet you can blame society and blame the politicians or your parents or your genes and all of that but it's your choice and you have to stop doing that blessed is the person who chooses to do things or chooses not to do things who chooses to believe things or not to believe things do you want to walk through life on your own without God? The contrast and with that the privilege and the blessing of saying together that I am for God. I humbly receive his grace. I know I need forgiveness and I want to move from walking, standing, sitting among the cynics and the sinners and I want to value God's people and I want to pray, not criticize and I want to believe and I want to belong and I want to be part of what God is doing and I want to ask forgiveness that I'm often bored with all that comes with the grace of God. That's how we make the most of our means of grace in our brief time in this earth. God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish. Did Jesus reflect on Psalm 1 and give it a new meaning as I want to give it a new meaning? But have everlasting life. Life is often hard and unfair, no doubt about that. But God is good and his grace is glorious and his gospel is liberating. We're going to take up a psalm as we come to a close. It's based on Psalm 91. Safe in the shadow of the Lord, beneath his hand of power. And our response, and you throw out this response is given. And if you read Psalm 91, you'll see it unfolds like this. I trust in him. I trust in him. My fortress. And my tower.
strong in the everlasting name and in my Father's care I trust in him I trust in him who hears and answers prayer safe in the shadow of the Lord possessed by love divine and our response I hope it will be I trust in him I trust in him and meet his love in and with mine let this be a a psalm and a song of faith. Let's stand and sing it together.